Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. your confession, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. This morning is Psalm 46, which we will read responsibly, with the congregation reading those portions in bold type. God is our refuge and strength, well proven help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her in the early dawn. The nations roared. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, see the works of the Lord. Who makes desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts off the spear. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge.
catechism lesson for this morning is taken from the section in the small catechism concerning the sacrament of the altar. By what other names is this sacrament known? The Lord's table, the breaking of bread, the Lord's supper, the Holy Supper, the Eucharist, and Holy Communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 we read, you cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. In Acts chapter 2, we read, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in the prayers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read, Therefore, when you come together into one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And again, later in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, When he had given thanks, he broke it. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Our epistle lesson for this morning is taken from the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians, reading there verses 15 through 21. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles know that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law. For by works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. 
For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. This is the word of our Lord. The Holy Gospel for this morning's consideration is taken from the 8th chapter of the Gospel of St. John. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in a house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. This is the word of our Lord. join together and confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed found on page 22 of the hymnal. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, I am all things for men, who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sit upon the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again in glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeded from the Father and Son, who with the Father and Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe one holy Christian apostolic church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world is come. Amen.
grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text for this morning's consideration is taken from the Revelation of St. John, chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. This is the word of our Lord. Dear Christian friends, once again, the leaves and Beaver Lake have turned, families have started carving pumpkins, the seasonal aisles in our favorite retail stores are full of chocolate bars and other candies. That can only mean one thing, that it is time for the great festival of Reformation. Wait, was I supposed to say Halloween? The connection between Reformation and Halloween may not be direct or obvious, but it definitely exists. And the reason for this will explain why this text from Revelation has since the days of Luther, been held to refer personally to him. This is not a universal belief, and it cannot be proven from Scripture that this angel who speaks in Revelation chapter 14 actually refers to Martin Luther. Still, it is hard to imagine another single person who has lived since New Testament times who did more to proclaim God's everlasting gospel. In Luther's time, the church is a public institution seemed to be a lot more interested in collecting money from its members than in preaching the gospel. And this was a multi-layered problem. For one thing, the church had come through centuries of, uh, of, of the induction of, of tradition, come to present Jesus as a terrible judge and ruler. And it began to teach that the easiest and best way to gain the favor of Jesus was to approach him either through his mother Mary or through one of the other saints. Now this is a horrible way to think about our Lord Jesus, since as we have been studying in Hebrews, it is through him and through him alone that we have access to God the Father. Jesus alone is the great high priest of the covenant, and we do not need human mediators alive or dead. But it gets worse. The church taught that while Jesus had paid the price for sins on the cross, that even believers would still have to suffer some sort of punishment in this temporal punishment, that is, for sins that they had done, and that there was a spiritual destination, which was called purgatory, where souls would do penance for hundreds or thousands of years before they could finally get to heaven. Now, of course, this teaching directly opposes the testimony of Scripture, because not only does Scripture never mention a place called purgatory, Jesus, in fact, tells the thief and murderer who was crucified with him and who repented, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, if anyone in the entire Bible had extra sins to atone for, it was that guy. And yet scripture says nothing about him spending any time in purgatory or indeed for anyone else. 
So on top of all of this, the church was selling these documents called indulgences, some of which were signed by the Pope himself, which worked as follows. For a variable cost, anyone could pay for a priest to say masses for the dead, which would shorten the time that souls would have to spend in this supposed purgatory. The sales pitch was that by parting with some of your spare money, you could shorten your dead relative's time in purgatory. And as it turned out, the church at the time very badly needed money. It was in the process of building major cathedrals in Rome and in other places. And there was a monk named Johann Tetzel who was selling these indulgences in Luther's area of Germany. Luther himself did not like it one bit. It was so crass at the time that there was a saying that Tetzel went around saying that as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. It's sometimes regarded as the first commercial jingle. Dubious honor to be sure. How could things have gotten this far astray? How could people believe things that were clearly not taught in the Bible? Couldn't they read? Didn't they read? It is easy to forget that at this time, the printing press was a very recent invention, and it was not a priority for the church to publish the Bible in local common languages. Most of the Bibles that existed at this time were hand-copied and in Latin, and most people could not read or understand Latin. But one of the people who could read Latin was Martin Luther. He was born the son of a copper miner and started out going to law school but after being caught in a particularly violent storm and almost killing himself by inadvertently stabbing himself in the leg with a sword, he vowed that he would, instead of going to law school, become a monk. Not all monks were academics, and not all monks sought ordination to the priesthood, but Luther sought and achieved both of these things. And he also earned his doctorate in theology in 1512, so he had been teaching for a while when Tetzel came around. Luther was a careful student of scripture, and many of the 95 theses that he posted show this. Here are the first four and the last five of these 95 theses. The first one is perhaps the most important. When Jesus said repent, he meant that believers should live a whole life repenting. Number two, only God can give salvation, not a priest. Number three, Inwards penitence must be accomplished with a suitable change in lifestyle. Number four, sin will always remain until we enter heaven. And skipping to the last ones. If the Pope had worked as he should, and by example, all the problems stated above would not have existed. 93, those in the church who claim there is no problem must go. 94, Christians must follow Christ at all costs. 95. Let Christians experience problems if they must and overcome them, rather than live a false life based on present Catholic teaching. It was clear that Luther was furious with both the Pope and with Tetzel, as likely were a lot of other people. But the difference was that Luther could do something about it and did do something about it. The reason he nailed those theses to the door at the chapel in Wittenberg on October 31st 
which we call, a date that we call Halloween, Hallow-even in Old English, which is the day before All Saints Day, is that November 1st was and is a major feast day, and everyone who could read Latin would see what he had posted on the door. Those who could not read Latin would at least know that something was going on. Now, Luther was one of the most zealous and religious people that you could ever hope to find. He had deliberately joined the strictest order of monks that he could find because he wanted very much to do good and to do all he could to earn salvation. He would flog himself with whips, he would fast, he would pray ceaselessly, all in hopes of gaining God's favor. His act of joining the monastery in the first place was driven by this. And I think we can all sympathize with that feeling. Luther himself never felt good enough or righteous enough, despite all of his external zeal, despite all of his best efforts. He knew that he could never, ever measure up on his own. We may not see our own faults with the same clarity that Luther saw his with, but we know that this is a difference in degree and not a difference in kind. We know that we have sinned, and while some part of us still wants to try to make up for our sinning, we know that it is impossible for us to do so. It does not lie in us to be perfect, and that fact can gnaw at us, just as it gnawed at Luther. And if we think that that is all that Scripture has to say to us, that will lead us to despair, as it almost did to Luther. Now, I doubt that Luther had any idea what would happen after he posted those theses. As brilliant and cutting as they appear and sound to us now, it would still be some time before Luther himself understood the full importance of what he was beginning to say. Luther himself, in his own preface to his complete writings of 1545, talks about this. And this is his description of his tower experience. Uh, reading the book of Romans, which occurred in 1519. But I, blameless monk that I was, felt that before God I was a sinner with an extremely troubled conscience. I couldn't be sure that God was appeased by my satisfaction. I did not love, no, rather I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. In silence, if I did not blaspheme, then certainly I grumbled vehemently and got angry at God. I said, isn't it enough that we miserable sinners lost for all eternity because of original sin are oppressed by every kind of calamity through the Ten Commandments? Why does God heap sorrow upon sorrow through the gospel and through the gospel threaten us with his justice and his wrath? This was how I was raging with wild and disturbed conscience. I constantly badgered St. Paul about that spot in Romans 1 and anxiously wanted to know what he meant. I meditated day and night on those words until at last, by the mercy of God, I paid attention to their context. The righteousness of God is revealed in it as it is written. The righteous person lives by faith. I began to understand that in this verse, the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous person lives by a gift of God, that is, by faith. I began to understand that this verse means that the righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel, but it is a passive righteousness. That is, that by which the merciful God justifies us by faith, as it is written, the righteous person lives by faith. All at once, I felt that I had been born again and entered into paradise itself through open gates. Immediately, I saw the whole of Scripture in a different light. I ran through the Scriptures from memory. From memory. 
and found that other terms had analogous meanings, e.g. the work of God, that is, what God works in us, the power of God, by which he makes us powerful, the wisdom of God, by which he makes us wise, the strength of God, the salvation of God, the glory of God. We can certainly see the hand of God in history here. We see, as we have seen many times in the Bible, and even in our own day, that there seem to be so few who are faithful. Just as Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? And yet, just as Jesus promised Peter, the gates of hell did not prevail over Peter's confession that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. It did not prevail over that in Luther's day. It will not prevail over the world in our day. Luther would no doubt be very uncomfortable with us celebrating him as a man. He knew he had faults. He talks about some of them above. He had other faults too. That is not an exhaustive catalog. But so too did Saints Peter and Paul have faults. And so too did Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The very heart of the everlasting gospel that Luther so ably and powerfully proclaimed is, that, is not that any of us can or should be faultless in this life. It is precisely that we cannot do anything to earn our own salvation. When Luther says that the righteousness of God is passive, he means that it is outside of us and that we receive it. Rather than having a sort of gauge of grace which gets filled up by participating in sacramental actions and shown by doing good works, God's grace lies entirely outside of us. But we lay hold of it by faith when we trust that Christ died for us and wishes to be merciful to us. And thus, we have the three solas that are shown here on our banner. Sola gratia, by grace alone, salvation comes to us by God's free grace and favor. The works that we do, we do not merit or earn God's favor in any way or shape or form. The only righteousness that avails before the throne of God is through the merit of Christ, which is grace in its purest form. Sola fide, by faith alone. Again, not through our works. This faith is trust in God's saving mercy, in the shed blood of Christ that eternally pleads for our pardon before the throne of God. That faith comes to us through God's word and through the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. We do not choose or make a decision to follow the Lord Jesus, for none of us can say, Lord, Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And sola scriptura, by scripture alone. We draw our guidance for faith and life only from God's word and not from human tradition or reason. One of the main reasons that things got so bad in the church of Luther's time in the 1500s was that they had allowed extensive infiltration of almost every aspect of church life with things that just frankly should never have been there. Many of those people had good intentions, but look at where those intentions got them. Luther translated the Bible into German while he was in hiding, later on fearing for his life. And the use of the printing press ensured the Bible and his writings explaining and teaching the Bible would spread throughout all of Europe and very quickly. The proliferation of books meant that it would now be possible for basically everyone to be able to read and understand the Bible in their own language. The standards of education that we have in the world today are a direct consequence of the education programs that began when the German princes and rulers 
who listened to Luther and joined in the Reformation, created public education systems to teach all of their citizens to read and write so that they too could read and write uh, about the Bible for themselves. And the practice of translating the Bible into every language we can continues until this day. Now, do we as Christians have to believe that Luther is this angel which is spoken of in Revelations chapter 14? No, we do not have to believe that. But consider again how well this description fits Luther. He was instrumental in bringing back the proclamation of the true gospel. Because of his time and circumstances, his work could be seen by every land, every people, every tribe, and every tongue. But whether you believe that this refers to Luther specifically or not, let us remember especially the blessings of the everlasting gospel that he preached and that we believe. For it is only through this gospel that we learn how our sins may be forgiven and how we might stand in a right relationship to God. It is only through this gospel that God works faith in us and gives us strength to live lives of repentance and good works. It is only through this gospel that we can hear the message of this angel, that the hour of God's judgment has come, and not be terrified or troubled, as Luther was before, but joyful and exultant, as we know that God's judgment holds no terror for us, precisely because of the message of that everlasting gospel, that Christ lived and died for your sins and for my sins, and because of that, we need not fear the wrath of God's judgment. And so, may God keep us safe in that gospel until Christ's return. In Jesus' name, amen. And now, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.
please stand. Let us pray together the prayers of the church. Lord God, Heavenly Father, who after long ages of darkness didst deliver our fathers from the bondage of error and the tyranny of human ordinances, we heartily thank thee for those faithful witnesses through whom thou didst restore the gospel of Christ to men. And we praise thee that thou hast caused this blessed light to shine until the present hour, so that now we know the holy scriptures, which are able to make us wise unto salvation. Through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, our only mediator, and unrestrained by human laws and unmolested by worldly powers, we are committed to worship thee in spirit and in truth. We beseech thee, defend thy church against all her foes, and do not suffer thy flock to be scattered or to be despoiled of the wholesome pasturage of thy word. Seek and save the lost and all who have gone astray. Preserve among us thy pure word and the holy sacraments. Turn our hearts from vain and delusive doctrines, and keep us steadfast in thy grace and truth, that we may not misuse the priceless liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, lest we harm our souls and be a reproach to thy church. Direct and strengthen us by thy Holy Spirit to abide in the confession of thy word and to walk worthy of the gospel and to all pleasing. That by the innocency of our lives or the constancy of our faith, even unto death, we may glorify thy holy name and in the end, by thy grace, obtain everlasting life. Now unto thee, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Please be seated. We will sing hymn 
Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the remission of sins. This do as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Take also and drink. This is the true blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, poured out for you for the full and free forgiveness of all of your sins. Now I ask you please to stand. May this, the true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, strengthen and preserve you in the one true faith unto life everlasting. Depart in peace. Amen. Take eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, given into death for all of your sins. 
May God bless you and keep you in his baptismal grace. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Given it to death. Given it to death for all of your sins. Take eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Given it to death for all of your sins. This is the true blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, shed for the remission of all your sins.
praise unto the Lord, for he is good. We give thanks to thee, Almighty God, that thou hast refreshed us with this salutary gift. And we beseech thee that of thy mercy thou wouldst strengthen us through the same in faith toward thee and in fervent love toward one another. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. The Lord be with you. upon thee and give thee peace. Are, are in on the back page of the bulletin. 
Uh, Midweek online Bible study continues through Jitsi Meek. Uh, believe it or not, next week is already the Congregational uh, Meeting and Potluck Sunday. Uh, those seem to be coming at a more rapid pace than they used to. I know the time passes at approximately the same rate, but it sure seems that these weeks and months are passing quickly. Uh, we have also been invited by Pastor Stefanski's congregations to celebrate with them on next, next Saturday in Mayo, Arkansas. Uh, there's uh, some more information posted about that on the, on the bulletin board in the back of the church. And uh, Pastor Mall is, is coordinating with Pastor Stefanski on anyone who wishes to participate in that. Uh, and finally, the Ladies' Second Saturday Brunch is set for Saturday, November 12th. Uh, ladies are asked to bring their Bibles in a sack lunch. Uh, any other announcements for this morning? I did find a reason why our guests a couple of weeks ago might have been confused because Ms. Hino, who was over here, is missing, is missing pages of the liturgy. And so uh, if uh, they were using this one, uh, they might have had trouble following because all of a sudden there's like four pages gone uh, out of the hymnal. So I'll put it, in the, put it up in there so we don't use it again. Put it in a hymnal naughty corner. Yeah. All right. Um, once again, uh, a blessed good morning to all, and uh, may God be wished with you uh, every day this week. Thank you.